0: Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you can hear me. I'm um, probably all right to go. Thank you very much. Mike, thank you. Michael, thank you for a great show. Thank you for hanging around. I hope you just watched uh, that, short fi- that short film that I produced. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me. My afternoon, your morning. I'm looking forward to an amazing show where, God willing, we're joining up Canada and America and the UK. I made that short film. As a number of you know, in 2015, we loaded it up. It was a message I felt led to to make that film here in the UK. And I just read whatever people think. (laughs) I'd read Pamela Geller's book, The Post-American Presidency. The fact that it's a forward by Robert, by uh, John Bolton, is another issue, another day that we can discuss that. But I made that, I made that film. It's always a privilege to be able to share your work because it seems timeless in one sense. And I did not play that to be, I did not make that to be prophetic. That's the last thing I wanted to be. But I also wanted to make it to be a warning. So it's a privilege for me to join you. And I want to start by reading by reading scripture. And I thank you for what Michael's doing what he's just talked about in regard to the border, etc. We have the same issues happening over here in the UK. This is not isolated as you as an incredible audience of educated people know that this is across the world. So Ephesians six, verse ten. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and have the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. When people like Thumper, like Michael, the rest of the station, put hours and hours into informing people, this is not for our own entertainment this is for people to enact and to take action. I have the privilege to be able to make films, to be able to do this, to be able to inform. Um, one of my dear, dear friends that will be joining us shortly, Carl Grip, a writer with hardly any equal, except maybe the other guest that I hope will be joining us, which is Bill Jesper of The New American. So, We have to inform, we have to read, we have to educate and we have to get things out there. So thank you for that. The other, just finally, the other verse, which is one of my favorite verses in scripture, which is Ephesians 4 verse six. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. I'm not going to go into that, but the key thing is my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. That is what our times now are, are about, but we also have to act to the best of our ability. One way that has been acted, as we know, the injustice of the J6 prisoners on uh, Jan 6. I don't have to tell you what's been going on within Washington with various court cases within the judicial system that is basically making America look like a banana republic. And the injustices going on are unfortunately rolling down like a absolute torrent. So AmericanGulagChronicles.org, there is a book on there. Thumper, I just wonder if you very kindly could find that link. And the book, the tabletop book that has been created, which is letters from the prisoners in, in the jails is there to, there's been created to raise money for them in regard to their judicial costs and also in regard to their families. And when. Um, the the sadly these people are locked up. Of course, that has an impact because the wage earner has then been taken out of the uh, out of the equation in many cases, which means that mortgages is difficult to pay, uh, rent is difficult to pay, car loans is difficult to pay, car and and the ramifications. Of that, I don't have to tell you, and especially when it's family and and uh, and children. So that book is for sale there to raise money for those families. You are more than aware, I'm sure, like me, of what's just recently happened with uh, with the Proud Boys and as Thumper just recently, and as and uh, ongoing ongoing court cases. So Thumper very kindly has just. Uh, sorting this out, American Gulag Chronicles. Thank you, but thank you as always. So on AmericanGulagChronicles.org, this book is there. Please spread the word, buy the book, letters from prison. Um, If you've got a local library near near you, buy two and put one in the library. I don't have to tell you about what's going on in the libraries in regard to Drag Queen now and all this other nonsense. Um, This history needs to be in there because I joke not. That there are people, um, there are school syllabuses in America already that are rewriting the history of Jan Six and what they perceive as the leftist truth. What we perceive, what we say, is actually the the truth. Where people attended that day, under the Constitution of the United States, their right to actually say we are not happy we have concerns about the outcome of the election in regard to the voting and the voter fraud and all the rest. I Don't have to explain that to you. Um, you are far more, along with me, educated about what happened that day. So thank you. Thank you, Tampa. So let's uh, let's kick off. I'm, I'm waiting for I'm still waiting for Bill to join us, but that's not going to hold us up because we're going to get straight into things. Um, one of the privileges of being given a platform and one of the privileges of trying to fill Dan Happel's cowboy boots. One is I can't fill his cowboy boots at all, um, but to be given this privilege to actually to actually uh, care for this show that he has been doing for a long time, to actually be be speaking out to get some incredibly informed guests, to be part of getting the Red Pill Expos off the ground, et cetera. Um, I cannot, you know, cannot praise him enough for what he, for what he does. And um, in 2018, just to quickly recap, I, with my then many trips to the States around about that time, I then flew out and I had the privilege to meet him. And a number of other, other people in the room that day, including Alex Newman, and then uh, that completely, completely in many ways changed changed my life. Carl Tigre, who I will bring on shortly, and Carl and I are very, very dear friends. We uh, we've actually met on uh, on a few occasions. There isn't hardly a day goes by that we don't uh, that we don't talk to each other. And if I can encourage you with that again, we all across this incredible world of ours, this God created world, as Genesis clearly lays out, not Darwin's um, evolutionary theory. The The key is this, is that we all need each other. We all need each other, and we all need to be encouraging each other. And whether there's thousands of miles away, but thousands of miles between us, that doesn't matter the key thing that these globalist uh, luciferian and I'm trying to keep it polite as it is a family show the key thing that they have tried to do over the last 3 years is to isolate us a number of us know that very well and while we have this technology we have to we have to uh, use that to the best of our ability so i will chase up bill via email while i'm also Introducing Carl, and we can begin a conversation. So, in many ways, Carl does not need an introduction to this show, but um, as he has as he has been on a uh, a few times, um, Dan was extremely blessed to have him on because he realised, oh my goodness me, what a fountain of incredible knowledge this man has. Dan, Carl wrote this book. <sighs> Game of God, he wrote this book. Behind me, to my on my left shoulder, are a load of other copies of his book that I deliberately set up here because Carl very kindly mailed me a box of them and I'm trying to give them out because this is information. It's information that in many ways people don't know because they've accepted the history of the 20th century. The book is that thick. Please, if you don't have it, Go out and buy it, but use it as a tool. Use it as a tool to gather friends around, to gather people around that have been questioning what's been going on. And with dear Michael talking about the border, this book, this book at points, not necessarily talking about borders, but will explain why we have the situation that we have, because the word equity is a regular thing that is coming up right now we have to in their words and I'll just quickly say this what's happening on our on in the channel um when they're coming into Dover, all these all these little boats brilliant William is Bill is joining us fantastic great to see you Bill as well I'll come to you and introduce you in a minute. But we have the same thing Well, we have you've seen all these little dinghies all these little boats that are coming over from France. We have had forty five thousand illegal immigrants come over this year already there's a projected um, thing of hundreds of thousands of of uh, immigration issues that we have been coping with over the last year over the last uh, over the last couple of years um I want to introduce my other guest this is uh, an absolute pleasure and one of the one of the joys that I have is being able to connect people. And it illustrates what I've just said earlier, a few minutes ago, about how we need each other. Now, Bill Jasper is very known to this program and very known to you all, being senior editor of The New American. And um, Bill and Carl have never met. But we're about to have that introduction, which is a real thrill for me. And the reason being is because, as Bill very kindly said, he's an admirer of Carl's work. Now, before you, everyone thinks this is some kind of bromance-loving, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is this. This particular book was written in 1992 by William Jasper. Global Tyranny, Step by Step. I was, on a re- I was on a show, on Dan's show in 2019 with, uh, with Bill. I didn't realize who he was, and I do apologize. I went to my library. I then found that I had two copies of this book. I opened it. My mouth went on the floor, and I thought, oh, my goodness. I'm about to have the privilege to speak to an expert. I have just been uh, quoting from this book in regard to an art and regard to a chapter of, a, of uh, something that myself and Carl are contributing to. This book, I look forward to, and maybe Bill will uh, explain this, that maybe one day, very soon, there'll be a lot of books behind my shoulder of another reprint in regard to this, because I think it needs to be reprinted. I'm not saying that because Bill is about to come on the show and we're going to have a conversation. The reason being is that the knowledge in this is second to none. When I read it, I found myself going, why didn't I know that? Why didn't I know that? Why did I not know that? Now, before we begin the discussion, and you know when they say best lay plans, there's another book I want to show which is Joan Vion's book, Prince Charles, The Sustainable Prince. Now very kindly, Carl posted this to me all the way from Canada, because this is out of print. There is a plan. Dan Happel, I hope, will be hatching that. This is another book that needs to be reprinted. Not because we're gonna waste time reading for reading's sake, is because this is informs us. We have just seen Prince Charles Become King Charles. I would like uh, to bring that in our discussion as well today. William, could you kindly turn on your microphone? That is very kind of you. And uh, I'll just make the introductions. Bill, please meet Carl. Carl, please meet Bill.
2: My Bill, it's pleasure. pleasure. Excellent. I've been Excellent, uh, Bill. an of your work for quite some time, uh, Carl uh you uh have uh, gone into many of the uh, dens which uh well some of which I have also uh been into particularly in the new age the occult the counterculture uh et cetera and have uh brought forward so so much uh needed understanding about all of those movements and groups and individuals
3: well thank you bill It's a pleasure likewise I mean my goodness I was reading your material uh, back already in the early and and mid 1990s. And uh, like Mark, I have a copy of your book here in my hands. And uh, uh, so this is a pleasure. This is great. And and I'm glad that we're able to have this connection. So uh, and Mark, thank you for doing this, for bringing Bill and myself together this way and uh, to have a conversation between the three of us, see where this goes.
0: Not at all, because I mean, you and I have discussed this. I think, I think uh, the other thing, Bill. There, in many ways, I think we need we need a virtual conference if we can't all be in the same room. There are a number of people to put in 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 this room. So, if I say the name Morris Strong, what what rabbit hole, Carl? Do we end up do we end up going do we end up going down? Because this is relevant. Because I want to go from Morris Strong to Rick Warren with some information that I shared with you yesterday. And I do apologize, Bill. I should have shared it with you today and we'll we'll end up at that point. But Morris
3: Strong. Well, Morris Strong uh, comes from my province of, of Manitoba in Canada, and uh, he's now passed away. He's been deceased for a few years. But Morris Strong's, um, his input into global governance, is massive, and, and he was one of those names where uh, if you've taken any time to study uh, the global green movement, global governance, you can't help but run into his name. Nevertheless, for a lot of people, it's it's almost an unheard of name too, unless you're focused in on on some of these conversations and these topics. Uh, I have a copy here of Marie Strong's book that he published back in 2000, Where on Earth Are We Going? Um, He was an interesting character. I had the opportunity to spend a day with him. I had uh, gone to a world Federalist event in Dallas, Texas, where Marie Strong was the keynote speaker. Uh, the two of us hit it off quite well uh, in fact I I had I had ditched the meeting we were in a, a kind of more of a business side to the meeting and I was just a, a fly on the wall and things kind of got boring after a while because I mean my goodness these are organizations with you know budgets and and internal issues and I'm like all right uh this isn't what I'm here for I walked out of the conference room and they're sitting on a on a couch by himself was Marie strong. And that afforded me the opportunity to walk up to Maurice and shake his hand and introduce myself as somebody who grew up in the same province he was from. Uh, In fact, my wife uh, is from a a small town, no more than a handful of minutes from his own small town of Oak Lake, Manitoba. And uh, and I mentioned to the the fact that we have these these commonalities and that I had indeed even gone golfing on his golf course in, in Oak Lake, Manitoba, and he stopped me. He stopped me. He says, that's where it ends. And he pulls back his hairline. He's got a small scar. He says, I played golf once. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is gonna be an interesting day. And and the, we hit it off. We end up having lunch together. We had supper together. Um, and this is golly, back in the fall of nineteen ninety-nine, or or yes, it would have been early fall of nineteen ninety-nine. Um he gave me some insights into what was happening within the United Nations, uh the the Millennium Forum, the summit, and then of of course the the uh conference, the United Nations summit on religious leaders as well. So a fascinating individual. His connections as 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 Bill knows very well. Uh, likewise yourself, Mark. Are so deep in terms of United, you know, the United Nations, the World Bank, uh, the, you know, the Bretton Woods organizations. The list of, of accolades is through the roof. Uh, sat on every board imaginable, so to speak, uh, from from Toyota all the way through. And of course, he is the architect of the 1972 uh, Stockholm Conference. And was the first director of the United Nations Environment Program, and then became the architect of the nineteen ninety two Rio Earth Summit. Uh, and in that respect, he is the person, along with his friend Wayne Kynes, who I also uh, know as well, who was the first uh, director of, of uh, communications at, at UNEP. Uh, they, the two of them together, in many respects, are the the, the godfathers of uh, the United Nations Environment. Um, you know the the whole global governance component, bringing the two together. So, very important individual. I mean, seriously important. Um, and and it's a name. His is a name that more people should be aware of, because of of the influence that he has had on domestic policies, and in the realm of global governance.
0: Oh, at some point, I want to end up at Rick Warren, which is really be quite interesting um bill i know this sounds like a bit of a stupid question in many ways but and it's brilliant because carl has got all these books behind him which are real you've got all these books behind you which are real which just says how seriously you two have taken your job um i can't i'm not sure if there's six thousand books that carl has access to maybe far more um Bill, why, why does the church, why has it not got any of this? Why is this, mm. and I'm saying this, but Bill, from my perspective in the UK, because I feel that across the Atlantic, there's like a wall and the wall stops certain information that's been coming from America. I think I feel that because in many ways, we, as you've laid out in your book, in many ways, we are far—we've been far more down the socialist rabbit hole since after the Second World War and the creation of the common market going into the EU than than you at that time. Why? But why is this not discussed in churches? Why is this knowledge not out there? And I do apologise if it sounds like a bit of a naive question.
2: No, it's a very important question because uh, what we are really uh devolving into racing toward as we head into the abyss is really uh apocalyptic uh and so the churches should be in the forefront of warning about this unfortunately now probably i don't know uh but i know carl uh you come from evangelist uh evangelical background um I come from both. I was raised Roman Catholic, then uh, went off on the Marxist and uh, leftist agenda for a while back in uh, 1970 or so, 69, 70, Uh, and then um, came back through uh, evangelical churches, uh, and now I'm back uh, to traditional Roman Catholic Latin Mass and uh, have been for the last 30 years. So I'm part of that movement now that um, the church that President Biden uh, says is, and the FBI uh, say are a, a terrible threat to uh, to America now. You know, that that's a big security. They sent out that memo uh, warning that we have to— um, put people inside the traditional Latin mass uh, communities because that's a great danger. Well, as a, as a Catholic, of course, uh, I'm very troubled as are many Catholics because ever since Vatican II, uh, we have seen uh, this effort for ecumenism not only among Christian churches but to bring in all the other different religions and even paganism. And that has really uh, culminated now with, under Pope Francis, uh, pushing forward the Pachamama paganism. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of your viewers may not be familiar with that, but uh, a couple of years ago, he had this big ceremony where he brought these Amazonian, it was called the Amazonian Synod, brought these pagans from Amazon to put forward this Pachamama goddess, uh, which he brought right in there into St. Peter's. And uh, it became a very big, uh, uh, very big scandal. Uh, But we see this in all of the mainline churches and evangelical churches, even, where this is penetrating in, this New Age influence, this postmodernist influence. Uh, So it's very clear that we're fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil. And uh, here it is... that is why we have, I think, this diabolical disorientation among many of the church leaders. Uh, some of them are influenced by it directly. Others are afraid to touch the topic because some of their donors or some of their prominent members or their family members are off into these various um, strains of paganism or pseudo christianity and they don't want to rock the boat i mean that's a kind of a um a very uh, shallow surface uh evaluation of it but but i mean it's very real uh what we see happening here now uh at Every year at the United Nations, you have all these faith leaders who come and promote the United Nations, and it's moving us closer and closer to a world religion, an antichrist religion. And, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Carl, you've been to the uh, World Parliament of Religions, uh, as have I, uh, the Millennium Summit. uh, And, uh, you know, so it was... For for a long time, and I was a correspondent. uh, I'm still an accredited correspondent at the United Nations, but I was going there pretty actively for over thirty years, thirty five years. So I actually had accreditation to go in. They tried to stop me a number of times, tried to uncredit me, but I put up a stink, and they finally, uh, you know, let me back in. And and I that was at the United Nations in New York. Uh, I didn't live in New York City, so I was going there and to Washington D.C. and then to uh, UN summits around the world, such as the Rio Earth Summit. Again, going back to Maurice Strong, that was where it, <laughs> that was his glory day. Uh, there at or uh, his glory. Weeks there at the uh, Rio Summit, uh, but uh, the United Nations has been pushing, and the the people behind it, the Rockefeller family particularly, which uh, you know has funded the United Nations from the beginning, and all of their various foundations, the Rockefeller Foundation, Rockefeller Brothers Fund, uh, and then of course all the other. Uh, foundations have been on board, too, particularly the big ones, Ford Foundation, MacArthur Foundation, even you know the John Templeton Foundation, which a lot of people think is a Christian-oriented. It may be, but they fund a lot of the New Age stuff as well. So uh, this has been promoted uh, very seriously at the United Nations. We have the, at the United Nations itself the meditation room, uh, which is uh, has been run for many years by the Temple of Understanding and uh, all of its occultic background, which I go t- into in, in my book and which you have also discussed. So, um, Christians need to be very much aware that the United Nations, with all of its pseudo- Christian charity, compassion, which isn't that at all. I mean, it's it, it's posed to us as, oh, the United Nations is with UNESCO and UNEP and UNICEF. It's going to do all these wonderful things all over the world, uh, and it's really usurping what the church should be doing uh, on its own and under and in the, in the process of promoting the gospel and of promoting the faith. Uh, but no, we've allowed the leaders, uh, political and religious leaders, uh, to uh, usurp that and uh, direct all of that compassion through the United Nations, which is very anti-Christ. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that. We've been trying to get that out out to them over the years.
0: Bill you wrote to me you wrote a manual i mean the the book global Timony you know global step by step is 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 a manual right and i do i'm just saying this not because you're here it's funny when we had an email exchange and i have been i have been tweeting your book out when I invade the public space, and I'm excited by the fact that these people who aren't Christians yet, but saying, look, you know, faith in Christ is number one here, and two, get hold of these books. I also recommend uh, Carl's as well. When you go, going back to the UN, in a way, in one sense, I know, but you were in there, you are like undercover finding all this information out, bringing all this information out. Herbert Walker Bush Senior goes to Kyoto and goes, you know, we have the opportunity, I won't go into the accent, we have the opportunity to build a new world order and where we're successful and we will be. Why didn't people get it at that point? Why didn't they suddenly realize that the president of the United States and you and I need about 20 hours to go through him <laughs> and what's and what's gone on? Why didn't they get it? Why didn't they? Why don't they get the Federal Reserve? Why don't they get any all of this? And again, I apologize if it sounds like a, an obvious question.
2: No, I mean that's the. It is an obvious question that springs everybody's mind. That w- once you are red pilled, once you uh, see the picture, you go, "Why don't, why don't they see it? Why doesn't everybody else see it?" Uh, but uh, on a more encouraging note, when George Bush did make his New World Order speech. Uh, uh, our phones were ringing off the hook. That's what you guys have been talking about for for the last uh, umpteen years, uh, and you know, because for a long time, anytime you mentioned the new world order, everyone in the media would eye roll or liberals would go, "Oh, there it goes, that conspiracy theory again." You know, this this is something that crazy people have made up. Uh, no, you know, we we were well in, in my book and in earlier books you know i'm stood on the shoulders of, of many others that came before me many of whom i had the great opportunity to work with uh, gary allen who wrote none dare call a conspiracy and many yeah. other books uh yeah. alan stang robert welch uh, jack manis uh, many other people whom i uh, Admired and looked up to, and who's re- Ed, Ed Griffin, G. Edward Griffin. Um, uh, I was, I've been able to work with uh, all of those uh, authors and researchers. And uh, so I, I know that throughout my journey over the last, and uh, I'm in my 70s, so. Uh, but over almost a half a century now that I've been in in this um, fight uh, it has always been a mystery why some people don't get it won't see it and then it's always encouraging when people do wake up and in this past couple of years since covid we've seen some very big surprises with, people like Russell Brand and uh, Naomi Wolf and uh, people who have partially gotten the picture like Bill Maher, for instance, who even recognize, I mean, he's still an atheist and he even says he's, he's still a, uh, how did he put it? He didn't say reprobate, but uh, still (laughs) kind of a Philistine, but he recognizes with all the political correctness and particularly with the uh, transgenderism, Uh, he and Dave Chappelle and a number of other people on the left in the Hollywood scene uh, have said, wait, 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 this is going too far. Uh, And some like Robert F. Kennedy, uh, Robert F. Kennedy is still pretty liberal left on on certain things. And you know, it was just a few years ago that he uh, came out and proposed that people who didn't go along with the global warming thing, whom he called deniers, should be prosecuted and put in jail. And now, of course, other people are saying that vaccine deniers should be put in jail. And so, he's he's finding out that this, that kind of uh, mentality uh, can be uh, and will be used against you. So, uh, it's a mystery why some people don't uh, don't get it. And one of the one of the I think a key thing here is that our enemies, those who are pushing the new world order, global governance, world government, uh, they know that people will start to wake up. And so they want to get influencers under their influence who will head people off. And so during the 1960s, we had William F. Buckley and others at National Review who were intent on keeping the Overton window uh, just within certain limits. And if you started exposing any of the people at the Council on Foreign Relations and later the Trilateral Commission or Bilderberger, oh, you were out there. You were a tinfoil hat. You were crazy people. And so, William F. Buckley really served uh that purpose. And I was glad to hear last Saturday on uh Steve Bannon's War Room, he was talking and he said, uh, because he's got a very large audience of millions of uh, subscribers, and he said, he said, you know, all those years ago the John Birch Society was <laughs> right and William F. Buckley and National Review were wrong. And so a lot of people are beginning uh, to see that. And um, the uh, during the time, like, for instance, when George Bush came out with his New World Order speech, the influencer at that time who kept everybody uh, from uh, all the conservatives who should have recognized that was Rush Limbaugh. He was yes. the big promoter of Bush and of the Bush family and of the Republican Party. And people who I know that were, uh, that are close to him say that in his latter days, in the last couple of years, he began to see through that. And it was became more manifest with his support for Trump when all of the rest of the Republican insiders... We're going against him, the mm. Karl Rove's and stuff, because Ro- Rush Limbaugh used to be pretty close to Karl Rove and everything. Mm. The Karl Rove and uh, Paul Ryan and all the mm. and uh, uh, all the rest of the Republican leadership that were uh, coming down on Trump because mm. he was upsetting their globalist agenda, yeah. particularly with yeah. regard to China, with regard to the border, with regard to. Um, trade deals. So, uh I I it would have been nice if uh, Rush Limbaugh before he passed away had been more explicit in saying, I was wrong. <laughs> there were, there really is a global agenda to destroy America. Uh but at least he did in some some respect um redeem himself in that regard.
0: Who was, um, and I'm sorry, I've just tried to find you. I suppose you reel off in in incredible names of total misdirection. Who was the commentator when Apollo supposedly landed on the moon? we are not go down that rabbit hole. Who was the (laughs) famous American uh, broadcaster at that time who went, you know, one small step for mankind well not necessarily him Who was the American commentator well
2: well the at that time uh probably the biggest uh commentator would be Walter
0: Cronkite precisely uh, who the, who yeah,
2: of course he was yeah, a a, a, a total world, globalist. Uh, Federalist globalist
0: yep, and- yep. Yeah. yeah, and there, there he is at that dinner, uh, you know, accepting an award, and then Hillary Clinton coming on the screen and Michael Douglas coming on the screen and going, oh, water, isn't it? All oh, fantastic."
2: Yes, and and of course he was he was that sobriquet of the most trusted man in America was bestowed on him and and uh, reinforced a million times by uh, saying that and what made him so trusted. I mean, we. In before we had the um New American magazine, we had two magazines, American Opinion, which was a monthly journal of more in-depth articles, and we had a weekly news magazine, the review of the news. And I wrote for those before we formed the New American in 1984. And uh at the new at uh, the review of the news, we continued it in the New American. We have a section called Correction, please, in which we take statements from the media, from the broadcast media, the print media, and some egregious uh, misstatement, falsehood, or lie that they're promoting, and then we dissect it and uh, uh, go through it. And we did many on Walter Cronkite, so we didn't consider him to be the most trusted man in
0: america <laughs> but the but the problem is across the atlantic people then did it hadn't and uh, just just quickly sorry um you can always tell a lot about people by the books that they have and i think to your left shoulder is tragedy and hope just on your bookshelf which <laughs> i i see so it's a bit like a which is over there, I have to say, my library. Um, I ha- it, It's a case of we ticked that off. And in a way, it was lovely to see you smile then, where suddenly, oh, suddenly people are getting it. It's very interesting when we discuss Russell Brand, because I'm not totally, I do, I have worked with him, but I put that slightly aside. But I wonder sometimes controlled opposition, but it's rather it's rather interesting with him. Naomi Wolf, it's absolutely fascinating as well, because as someone that then she went to talk at Hillsdale College. And as she said, I'm being received with with love. You know, people are not having a go at me, even though politically I might not have been there. It it is a, a number of years ago. What is fascinating to me is that a load of non-Christians have got it, are getting it and are speaking out about it and are doing the job that the church is not. And I, Carl and I have regularly had this conversation. It it absolutely frustrates me. And I wonder what both of your comments are on that.
3: Well, and it is frustrating. I absolutely, it's a frustrating situation. How do you, how do you wake the the Christian community up to what is transpiring right in front of you? And I mean, it's something I've wrestled with. I know anybody in, in, in this field has wrestled with, how do we wake up the Christian church? And, and, and Bill, to your point, my goodness, I mean, I've I've got. I probably loaded a bunch of documents around me. I always tend to do that. You end up over um, <laughs> getting, you know, almost overloading your 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 setup so that you have material at your fingertips. But from from the Midnight Central Committee, a document going back to the year 2000 on uh, on. This is going to sound sick, and it is sick. Uh, The idea that there's power in the blood, women, menstruation, and ritual, and blood mysteries, saying things like, we we are finding, again, the importance of our own bodies, whether through the blood of menstruation or the touch of another, we are reclaiming our ties to that great body upon which we dwell, Mother Earth. I'm sorry, this is flat-out paganism. What a pile of crap. Um, The Green Bible nonsense where they've taken and 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 instead of being a red letter edition the words of christ it's a green letter edition taking in and, and and somehow bending scripture to say well these passages speak towards uh conservation and environmentalism and and, and a green spirituality um so th- we've got a problem right within the christian community and and to the point on on Pope Francis and uh, boy, this this was for me this is an amazing uh, an amazing thing to witness I, at the 2015 Parliament of World Religions. I went to a workshop hosted by by a Wiccan group, and uh, they were asking pagans to respond to, to Pope Francis's recent encyclical on the environment. And so they read excerpts from, and they wouldn't tell us in the beginning of the workshop where these texts came from, but they would read sections of of a text, and then they'd read sections of another text, and then they'd read some more, and then they would ask us in the audience, do you know who wrote this? Can you differentiate between our Wiccan texts, our pagan proclamations, of environmentalism, and Pope Francis, do you know which said, you know, who said who or or who said what? Nobody could tell because it was the same. It had that same worldview lens through which it was being viewed. So regarding the church, shame on us. Shame on us for capitulating and, and not only capitulating, but more importantly, being active participants. So, and this is a really interesting conversation regarding the, the history of, of where globalization really kind of emerges from. And, and as you peel back the historical layers, you end up going all the way back to the 1893 Parliament of the World Religions, which was, for, the, for its main part, a quote-unquote Christian assembly though it had massive Swedenborgian influence, and and it was really the tipping point, bringing the East and West together. But it was at that that point when when Christian ministers believed that they could help reshape a a new world, build heaven on earth. And, And that came along at the same time as you had a very early burgeoning social gospel movement and the social gospel movement was was focusing on an international righteousness how we're going to create a heaven on earth and then by the time world war 1 comes along you've got the federal council of churches and carnegie's church peace union and and this this interlock between political players foundations. At that point, you had the Carnegie Foundation as probably the primary one that really played a, a significant role before World War I and during the, the early phases of World War I. And, and ministers of the gospel, so to speak, all intersecting, sitting around the same table, being part of the same small club that pulled together the League to Enforce Peace, and then the League of Nations. And then during World War II, my goodness, you had, you had the Methodist Church had campaigns, crusades on world order. The Southern Baptist Convention issued a, a, a statement supporting the United Nations and, and world government. Uh, John Foster Dulles and his his Federal Council of Churches Commission on on a just and durable world order was was making inroads, and so there was a sense. And it's it's been an early on movement. That we bring religion in to this political, global political discourse. In fact, in many senses, it sets the tone. For myself, probably one of the most glaring examples was back in 2010, I attended the Re- World Religion Summit, which was the parallel to the G8 and G20 political summits. And by the way, we're having the G8 or G7 again, and there's an interfaith component to it. And uh, the, that year in 2010, the G8 was being held in Toronto, and the G8 World Religion Summit, the, the, the faith-based side of it, was held in my province, in uh, specifically in the city of Winnipeg, and it was hosted for the most part by and organized by World Federalists uh, from the Canadian branch of the World Federalist Association. What came forward, and, and to me, it was it was. Uh, it not just simply reinforced, but it almost shocked me awake. Not that I wasn't to this movement before, but it just, you know, it was one of those kind of aha oh, moments where all of a sudden you went, ah, all right, I get it. And that is that religious leaders were being paraded as the new global statesmen because religion transcends borders. It's not bound by any capital city or by any bureaucracy, you know, political domestic bureaucracy. It transcends borders. And as religious leaders, we potentially have the ability to influence a far larger constituency than even national governments can. And it was a fascinating discourse as these religious leaders, people from Oh, from, from literally every walk, uh, from, from Buddhists. And, and, and we had some representatives from, from Islam. We had Catholic representatives, evangelical representatives. They're all speaking the same language, which was really this, this pullback to the early phases of, of how, when Christianity was starting to walk hand in hand with the idea of global governance, this idea of this international righteousness. We're going to build heaven on earth, and we, as religious leaders will be the new moral global statesman. We don't change offices the way that presidents and prime ministers do. And and we have an influence that is really far deeper because it's not about building policy. It's about feeding an idea into the minds and the souls of your congregants. It's really a remarkable... um, Exploration when you dive into this and you recognize that all of a sudden, that, oh, okay, hold on, this is not just politics; it's a cult.
2: It is right, a cult. and the, the it folks is a cult that of world order. are are pushing <clears throat> the new world order have recognized this uh, from the beginning. You mm-hmm. went back to the the first eighteen ninety three uh, Parliament of World Religions, and that was kind of the the first uh, real uh, coming together uh, of this, and uh, as you pointed out, there were Christians in there, but most of the Christians, or maybe part, all of them, were Unitarian, Swedenborgian, uh, fringy uh, Christians who were what would then become the the New Age movement uh, from their time. But it, it had even preceded them, and it was already mixed with socialism, because when Harvard and Yale went unitarian uh 50 years before that in the 1830s uh and right around that time when Robert Owen came over <clears throat> from uh Scotland uh he took uh, uh America by storm among the intellectual class of the Trin- the unitarians who were already leaning in that direction and uh, So the socialism and the social gospel and the uh, pseudo-Christianity of uh, Unitarianism all got mixed together there. And then the Swedenborgian and uh, uh, more uh, uh, Freemasonic elements got mixed into it it as well. And so all of that has been percolating uh, up. And then when you get the big uh philanthropic uh organizations pouring money into it carnegie and rockefeller and uh, and the rest of them ford uh then they ca- they really start funding a whole bunch of different offshoots of these things and theological schools like the union theologicals uh, uh union theological riverside church all of these uh different um organizations and Penetrating the uh, the colleges and universities, and so
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, it, what we are witnessing today, of course, is uh, the result of well over a century of uh, of all that germination and uh, cultivation.
3: Well, you know, Bill, exactly to your point, ideas really do have consequences, don't they?
2: Yes, and particularly when they're assiduously. Promoted in the culture and particularly targeted at the young, uh, because I've gone back and looked at how was it that I was uh, drawn into uh, in the 1960s, and it was it was a culmination of the cultural things like all the music and and stuff being young and. And you're just uh, anxious to learn about all the different things out there in the world beyond your family and, and home. And it's a great, big, wonderful experience out there. There was all this revolution going on. There was all the turmoil from the war, from the Vietnam War. And you're trying to process all of these things. And you have a sense of justice that you want to see justice done and at the same time you want to have fun and you want to experience all these these new things and um so people if they're not really firmly grounded and I thought I was at that at that time but obviously I wasn't uh it's very easy to um go off, uh, and particularly because uh, there is so much misinformation and disinformation out there. We have we have lots of books and everything, but when I was growing up, and now you have everything on the Internet uh, as well, and that's, that's both beneficial and harmful. For me, it's very beneficial, and for you, people like that, because I used to have to as a journalist when I was down in Southern California in Los Angeles. Uh, if I wanted to get a government report, uh, a legislative uh, piece of legislation or something, I'd have to go get in my car, drive down to UCLA to the federal depository, uh, get a parking spot, pay for parking, go inside, go through all the library rigmarole, try to find the microfish, try to find the microfilm or try to get the report, then go copy. Now you can do it. It's right at your fingertips. I mean, I I can do a hundred hundred times as much uh, research in the same amount of time as it used to take to to do this. I kind of miss. I, I mean, I always liked the library stacks and stuff like that. But <laughs> now I have my own library stacks, and so. And,
3: and yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I'm sorry, Mark, uh, because no, go, it, go. the 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 realm of books the importance of libraries uh, and, and the access we have to the internet, while we have incredible access to information and, and we have, and, and like like yourself, Bill, I, I love going to the university stacks. And I love hanging, hanging out in universities and it's actually a lot of fun to build your own library, that's for sure. Um, but at the same time, while we have all this access to 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 information via the web, it seems it's now becoming more curated information. And it's becoming more difficult to be able to to slide through the, what the algorithm is telling you is worth seeing or what it's not worth seeing, and and so it's it's like it's created a form of information choke, or like a choke point, so to speak. And one of the things that has struck me over the years, and and like I'm very sure with yourself, Bill, is and and mark you're building your library the importance of having physical copies so that things mm-hmm. don't become deleted you cannot delete a library that easily and having multiple libraries located in different places like what we are now experiencing just between the three of us ensures that that, that information remains viable nobody's just going to be able to you know to mm-hmm. shut off and, the and power we
2: know that that, that uh Nothing is totally permanent. I found that right. out four years ago. I had a house fire, ah. and what you see behind me is just a small fraction of my. I have fifteen thousand books in my library, and it's very frustrating for me because most of them are still in boxes. I got them back from the restoration, and they did a wonderful job with a lot of them. Some of them were more water damaged and fire damaged and so you know the pages are all wrinkled the covers are all wrinkled and everything uh and some of my replaced but uh you know i can still read them i can still um, get the information out of them i don't i mean i would like to have uh I think all of us would, would like to have something like the, the Kells library or something where you have those great big uh, walnut or cherry wood uh, things with the ladder going up or whatnot, but yeah. mine are minor, minor for, for use. And so yeah. I want to have the information there because like you say, uh, uh, they, they can digitally send them down the memory hole. And even in the well, over the years, people have said, well, why do you have so many books? You can just go to a library. And I said, well, no, a lot of the books that I have are not even available in university libraries. Uh, or they may say they have them on in their catalog, but you can't ever, get, you can't ever find them or get them. And so it is important to preserve uh, the actual physical printed word. And that's why we still Published the New American Magazine as a print magazine, whereas most of the other major magazines stopped doing that. And it is cost prohibitive in that it takes a lot more time, labor-intensive, uh, and mailing expenses and whatnot. But we decided it's very important, and as we saw with uh, over the last couple of years with with the uh, Twitter files and Facebook and Google, how particularly during COVID, how uh, they could, as you as you said, uh, choke the um, access to information that was de- that was deemed uh, uh, disinformation on their part. So, uh, it's it's important for us to uh, to preserve these things.
3: A question uh, I, I, I do – again, sorry, Mark. I just jumped no, in. No, no, just Mark. said it's great. Right. No,
1: not at all. Because
3: I do have a, a question for Bill, and, and because this was a more of an American phenomena in terms of the early dissemination of internationalist-minded information, and that was the Carnegie Library System. Mm-hmm. And because it didn't seem to matter if you want to go to Jamestown, North Dakota, or um, Terre Haute, Indiana – there, there seem to be wherever you wherever you travel these old libraries, the Carnegie Library systems, and I know Carnegie uh, initially had uh, like an international reading room assigned to it. Um, do you have any insights in the role that that library system played in shaping American culture at that time? Because of course, then it was before the age of television, internet, and all that the goodies we have now.
2: Yes, and uh, you know, mo- like most Americans, my uh, memories of the um, Carnegie libraries were fond because here you have these libraries in most cities and towns. Uh, They're called Carnegie libraries because he provided at least the initial funding for many of these, but. Carnegie was an internationalist, a globalist, as you already pointed out. He was one of the major funders of the League to Enforce Peace. And uh, we did a number of stories on him in American Opinion and uh, The New American over the years. Uh, He funded uh, so much of the early globalist effort and Mm-hmm. even before the Rockefellers uh, uh, came in on it. And uh, so those libraries and the, um, what was it called? The uh, the International Mind and the International Alcove that he had mm-hmm. in the uh, libraries uh, really promoted the idea of globalism, of world government, of, limiting national sovereignty, or even the evils of national sovereignty. Uh, and so all of all of those were preparatory for what then came later in the decades that followed. And of course, along with that, uh, we have the American Library Association, which uh, was then formed to make sure that the content of the libraries and the emphasis of the libraries, would go in approved directions, and now we've come to the point where last year, uh, I can't think of her name. You probably know the the woman who was the feminist, lesbian, socialist, Marxist, uh, who was elected president of the American Library Association. She's actually coming in. I think the first day of Mar- uh, July as her beginning but when she was elected last year, she tweeted out that hey we've elected a, a feminist uh, lesbian Marxist to president. She says now more Marxism in the libraries and so I mean they're very they're they're just mocking us, you know they're trolling us telling them <laughs> we're gonna uh, go as far with this as we can. Now they think they can go right out into the open. And so that's why we see, uh, it's it's a battle here. I know it is in most other countries too. I believe it is in Canada and in the UK, <sighs> where the libraries, where you have these drag queen story hours. Where they, we just had a battle here in in my hometown where I live here. Uh, actually, today is voting day. I've got to go out and vote uh, later on today. Uh, for the board of trustees for the local library network, including seven towns around this area, because uh, moms and dads and grandmas uh, started looking at the books, and they found out there's over 300 titles promoting pornography, LGBTQ stuff, uh, uh, really rancid, terrible uh, stuff. And the library board wouldn't anything about it. They've been promoting this stuff. And so finally, so we have two gentlemen that are running now for the library board uh, on the platform. They're going to remove these books. They're not even saying we're going to take them out of the library. They're saying we're going to remove these books from the children's section, and the children will not have access to them. That's the position we're in today.
0: Well, Brilliant! I want to say to you guys, I'm I'm loving, I am loving this conversation, because, and I'm not being rude and not being rude to our audience, because the fact is, is that we are asking people to step up. We're asking people to go and do the research. You've done that all your life, all your journalistic life. Asking people to step up, not not dumb down. Now, give me that in two seconds, you know, or whatever. Bill, what moved you from? And I can relate to this, virtually being left of Stalin at one point. What moved you from from this left wing Marxist viewpoint to where you are now? What 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 part of that? What was on that journey? What helped that?
2: Uh, that's a that's a good question, and actually, it's uh, I've examined that as well. Mm as trying to figure out how did I end up going in that direction in the first place. And it's usually more complex than just one thing. It's a, it's a, mm. a number of mm. nuance mm. factors. And it's the same thing uh, with then my conversion, uh, because it was both religious, intellectual, and social uh, conversion. Because uh, I was not comfortable with a number of things in the counterculture, uh, anti-American, anti-war, pop culture that was going on. For one thing, I was blessed to have two very wonderful, devout parents who were both World War II veterans. My mother was an army nurse. Uh, My father was a paratrooper 82nd Airborne, Uh, so, uh, you know, they had been in the thick of battle in uh, World War II, Uh, came back, wanted to have, uh, got married, wanted to have a family. They met uh, during the war, and um, they recognized, clear back then, at the end of the war, that this thing called communism with our so-called ally, Joseph Stalin, was not a good thing. And they they were alarmed right from the start from things that they saw over there, because they had witnessed parts of Operation Keelhaul, which yes. was that Abominable, mm. uh, terrible thing that our government and the allied governments did to appease mm. Stalin, mm. turning million returning millions of not just Russians but Germans, Poles, uh, Lithuanians, yep. Latvians, yep. Estonians yep. Yep. to Stalin to be tortured, killed, or sent to the gulags. And so then, as as uh, communism expanded, they really drilled into us that, you know, communism was bad. And, uh, but then when I, um, and, and so I, I, I really, even when I went went leftward, I still respected and loved my parents. And I thought they were, you know, hopelessly old fashioned and everything. And they had been sold a bill of goods on this communism thing because Marxism seemed to really explain what we really needed to have a just world. I didn't Go along with that for very long, though, because I recognize that Marxism professes to be uh, scientific materialism—that all we have is our matter in motion, you know—and uh, I said, "No, there's more to uh, more to it than that. There is what we would call a spiritual dimension of some kind." And even though I had kind of said, "Well, I'm not going to," uh hang on to my my christian background uh, i wanted to explore all these other eastern things that were coming in the beatles were bringing this and yeah, you know and all yeah, of that. yeah yeah so uh you know i i for a short time i started looking in all of those uh religions and uh then i in college in my sophomore year uh, I met up with some campus crusade for Christ mm. um, Christians there. And I started uh, rethinking things and reading uh, the Bible more and uh, uh, came back to my Christian uh, faith. Uh, but even then, I found a lot of the Christians were still muddled in terms of understanding uh, economics and politics, and they were still easy marks for socialist Marxists of various kinds who would play upon your Christian compassion and sympathy to say, well, okay, uh, we have to help the downtrodden. So that means the government has to come in here and do this. Ergo, we need socialism, Marxism of one Hmm. kind or another. So Hmm. I had to try to uh, work my way through all of that. And at the same time, I was attracted because of that to Ayn Rand for a while and looked into into her stuff and of, of course there are lots of libertarians who for who for whom uh, Ayn Rand is holy writ you know and so that's their gospel <laughs> so um it it's a it's it was a process of getting uh trying to figure out okay in this world in which we live how are we to express ourselves uh, as Christians in the world market, in the world place here, how do we, how are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to govern ourselves? And so it's been a, a lifelong journey. Uh, it, there's never real easy, cut and dried answers to all of these things, but we can know what is definitely deadly and doesn't work and is bad and we have to work out uh, then what is the the proper means for um, for working together with our fellow human beings. And to what degree can we cooperate with them? To what degree uh, do we have to oppose them when they're promoting things? Like for instance, now I, I tell people, look, what is it going to take particularly for the men. Uh, the women seem to have jumped into, uh, into the gap here. But look, if you're a man, you're a father, you're a son, you're a brother, you're a husband, your children are being targeted. Your wives and your sisters, your mothers are being targeted. Are you gonna allow some guy to walk into a women's bathroom and uh, because he identifies as a female? Uh, what kind of man are you if you're going to going to allow that to happen? I was just at the grocery store yesterday, and I saw a man, taking a father, taking his little girls into the men's bathroom because he wasn't going to allow them to go into uh, the women's bathroom unaccompanied, and that's where we have gotten today. And so, men have to step in there. Most men are afraid that they're going to be called. A misogynist, a transphobe, a racist, or something like that, and we have to get over uh, those fears and and break through that.
0: Bill, well, thank you, thank you, no, thank you for saying saying that. Have you found yourself uh, revisiting? I mean, it's very interesting when you talk about Operation Kilhol because I don't think people know enough about that I, that particular piece of history, like a lot of other history. Have you found yourself over the last three years, you know, revisiting Yalta, revisiting Stalin, revisiting that history? Could could you talk about that? Because I know I have. Well, yes,
2: that's a a very important point. uh, Because uh, I'm sure both of you run into this also. When writing or when speaking to a group, and you mention Lenin, uh, you know, I used to say, well, most people would think you're talking about John Lennon when you mention <laughs> Lennon. <laughs> and nowadays you're talking to a younger audience. They don't even yeah. remember who John Lennon was.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh,
2: but even simple things that we take for granted, like referring to F- Fidel Castro as the hmm. dictator Castro, uh, a lot of people are still clueless. They, so you have to explain. So you you find yourself prefacing every. Almost every fact or factoid with an explanatory uh, preface. The communist dictator of Cuba, Fidel Castro, <laughs> so that uh, people understand. And we we can't really blame the younger people if they're under thirty. A lot of them have never be, even been exposed to. It. They they may have heard of the name Stalin. They may have heard of of um, of uh, Vladimir Lenin. But it's kind of an amorphous uh, thing up there. They don't really uh, know what it is because they've been deprived of that information, which would allow them to make life uh, decisions that affect our whole civilization. And when you have a whole population that is bereft of that knowledge, that basic knowledge, so they don't even know factually even if even if one separates that from from uh uh valuations of it because some people still Revere Stalin some some uh detest him uh but at least uh they should know who he was and kind of have a a, a reference frame for him in history and so yes I um have been uh actually, writing a, a whole series of things because i want to do some podcasts uh covering a lot of these things in in history uh in both a three minute thing and then a a, a longer 15 or 20 minute one which would uh give people a, a reference point point. and so you know in the past uh one of my very good friends, I'm sure you both are very familiar with is Trevor Loudon. Trevor Trevor has done a tremendous amount of good work on this. And uh, uh, Diana West uh, has also uh, done some very good work on this and resurrected these things. You know, uh, we used to, uh, in the John Birch Society, in the 1960s and 70s, there were a whole series of books Called the dozen trumpets which were books published in the 40s 50s and 60s that had gone out of print and uh, like the red web by blair cohen uh the uh web of deception and several uh, many other other books like that uh people's pottage uh by uh garrett garrett uh the whole of their lives by benjamin gitlow one of the founders of the communist party of the united states and he was the first one to go to prison as a communist. And uh, he had uh, finally come to his sen- senses in Moscow uh, under Stalin, just after Stalin had uh, taken control there. And uh, he came back, he made it back out of there because many of the others who disagreed with Stalin didn't. And he wrote that book, very important. Uh, book in there particularly as it relates to today and political correctness and the way in which uh political correctness is enforced within the party and on the party and there's a particularly uh graphic description that he gives there of stalin coming up to speak at the all-party congress and uh, after he after he speaks everybody stands up and they're clapping and they're clapping and they and Stalin doesn't motion for them to stop. And so they just keep on going. It, it's like something out of uh, 1984, George Orwell's, and they're clapping, yeah. and he says, Everybody's hands are getting numb and they're it's getting painful and they, they mm. can't stop. And they're afraid, uh they're afraid to stop because if you're the first one to stop, you might end up going to the gulag or you might go to the firing squad. So it goes on for 15 minutes or so. You can imagine (laughs) clapping for that long and they're trying to show their, their zeal and elation. And, uh, finally, finally it stops. And he says, he says that that so illustrated to him, this mentality, and we see it all around us today, how people fall into line and, uh, uh, particularly, we see it with the Antifa and with all of the the Black Lives Matter and the LGBTQ, P. how they can just go crazy. And uh, that kind of mind control and crowd control and herd mentality is what we're facing today.
0: What, um, this is an observation from this side of the pond, which at various times, you know, my heart is grieving. Because when we we look at the Constitution of the United States, I'm looking at America, what it stands for. Uh, I'm going to throw, a comment you made when I'm I'm thinking of uh, Ford Cowboy films, which I remember growing up with, and um, you know John Wayne. This whole thing, right? To some, that may be an appalling example. Not to us, this whole thing of go west, you know, achieve what is what has happened when where is the black-robed regiment you know preaching from the pulpits what is i've asked him, what has gone on you know i'm it really it does grieve me so much
2: well yeah so i mean that's uh that's how i grew up of course um uh, most of the time when i was uh, growing up in the 50s and 60s uh we didn't have a television. And uh, uh we did uh we'd get hand me downs that somebody would uh give back then. It was a new thing uh back then, and so we but uh that was uh, I was a big uh John Wayne fan mm. and mm. for good reason, I think. He he exemplified mm. uh a manly uh mm. patriotism and uh I'm mean, not in all of his movies, of course, but But still, it was that rugged individualism and uh, can-do spirit, and uh, both his westerns and his uh, World War II uh, movies, and um, you know, it was it was good and it was wholesome, Uh, and that's why when I that was one of the other things when I went to college and I started going left. I, I didn't go I, I never really cared for um all of the postmodernist, post structuralist, uh so-called intellectuals that were pushing every kind of deviant culture and whatnot. I, I still felt that no, you know, men are men and women are women and mm-hmm. and uh uh we should have uh I I can remember in, in uh college, my freshman year in 1970 showed Alvin Toffler's future shock and uh, it was promoting this idea of the evolving family, how clear back then, you know, there would be uh, multiple uh, uh, people living together out of marriage and they'd have homosexual and, and lesbian uh, families and all this. And I thought that is, uh, that is so wrong. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not going to go along with that. And, uh, But what we've seen now is going on three generations of that saturation of the culture. and It's accelerated, of course, with the the Internet generation, the last Mm. generation, Mm. because Mm. now it is not just something that is on television that you turn on and off, or you go to the movies. We still have all of that, but it's omnipresent with the Internet and with gaming and so many young people, are involved in gaming and a lot of the the game video game culture is uh is totally subversive and perverse and so uh and then when you put that with the official channels of school uh where uh we have uh, particularly in the government schools uh just a, a sewer being <laughs> piped in, piped into them mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, it's a wonder that we still have a, a any residue of our civilization left, and that's why I'm very, uh, uh, very uh, encouraged by the growth of the homeschool movement, which mm-hmm. my parents <clears throat> got involved in with my younger brothers. I come from a large family of eleven kids, and I was in college. My youngest brothers and sisters were in junior high. And my folks were going, hey, something's really wrong here. We're not. And I put them in touch with Christian Liberty Academy to start homeschooling back then in the 70s of 73, 74. And back then it was a subversive activity. You could get arrested and your kids taken away from you for that. So they had to do it secretly, like most homeschoolers did at that time. And now, thanks be to God, it is uh now a couple of generations later, it's viewed as pretty mainstream and uh, and millions of, of uh, kids are being educated and protected from the uh, the worst influences
0: because that's what covid revealed didn't it suddenly parent. I mean our, our mutual friend Alex Newman is the you know really Bangs on quite rightly about this, which is get your kids out of public school. So COVID showed that, didn't it? Where suddenly parents were looking over their children's shoulders and going, are you learning this? What's this? Yes.
2: And the things that parents should have been very vigilantly checking on long ago uh, finally they were, it was revealed to them that, mm. whoa, uh, this is what your
3: your kids are being marinated in uh, day in and day out. For, for um, my wife and myself, we we homeschooled our two children from uh, beginning to end. Uh, it's a lot of work, but I'm so glad we did it. And, and Mark, what, what forced us to look seriously at homeschooling uh, not just simply the, the understanding of the of the rot that was already within the curriculum system, and, and already within public the public school system, because that was more than evident way before we even had children. But when we were having conversations with with public school children, we'd ask, "Hey, what's new with you?" And the response was typically this: "Nothing, nothing." <laughs> and then I'd have conversations. With a homeschool child, and I'd ask, What's new with you? And it was like, Let me tell you. And they were excited and they were giving me history and projects and great ideas. And I was having an adult conversation with somebody who is, you know, 10 years old. And I'm going, Remarkable, remarkable. And that, for me, was one of those selling points where I went, okay. Uh, because you always hear the, the the typical line, what about socialization? Actually, what you're really referring to is what about socialism? What about conformity with the group? Because I can tell you, uh, as somebody who went through the public school system, there's as many kids who are antisocial within a public school system as there is outside the public school system. Uh, it really depends, and, and this it goes back, to, back, Bill, to your point, for the men to stand up and for the men to teach and, and for the men to move forward and, and be those uh, uh, role models that is that is so necessary. The family unit. Uh, when you see the the the, the, the uh, disintegration of the family unit, you see the disintegration of 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 culture and civilization, and that's what we've been watching unfold. That's that's part of it, but yes, uh, homeschooling is one of those movements where it, it is a bright light uh, in in a world of darkness.
0: I'm I Bill. I'm I'm a, an ex public school teacher, amongst uh, amongst other things. I'm really really gra- I'm I'm thrilled to hear you say about you know like your own version of uh, PragerU explaining Stalin explaining uh history communism etc cetera, etc cetera. Carl uh, Carl and I have had some interesting discussions to say that we need to look at the Fabian society I mean just as a um aside so within our political system Starmer, leader of the Labour Party of of the opposition, has links with the Trilateral Commission, has attended their meetings, et cetera, et cetera. So people people are not aware of this. And quickly going back to what you were saying as well, I suppose, in those discussions with young people, if you turn around and said, as AC Sutton said, well, actually Wall Street paid for Lenin to, you know, go across through Germany and end up in Russia, all, the, all these kind of things, and then they'd be looking at us totally and utterly mystified. Taking it in a slightly different direction where I threw this out earlier, so coming back to someone, coming back to the church, coming back to, as Carl was laying out, the infiltration, we look at, at Rick Warren. Yesterday, A piece of information came across my uh, internet, um, the email, where Rick Warren now finds himself um, chancellor of Spurgeon's College in South London, right? The Charles Spurgeon, the man that would have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And there is Rick Warren. He won't, I presume, be flying backwards and forwards on a regular basis. I think he said he'd be able to join on Zoom. So I I would like to unpack that a little bit because over here, people are so ignorant to that kind of thing. My alarm bells have gone off. I've freaked out just going, well, that's it. That just says it about the institutional church. And then actually, as a bat, that is a Baptist. That is the Baptist training sermon, a ceremony, a seminary or cemetery. Maybe one of two. I wonder what your thoughts are on that, both of you. Wonder what your thoughts are on that, Carl. Go, go first.
3: I'm not surprised. Unfortunately, I, we, I, you know, we we've seen these types of of. Uh, how do you how how do you say it? Uh, this type of an influence for a long period of time. I've watched as denominations uh, have have had a a solid gospel presence and then over time capitulate. Now I'm not saying that that school in, in particular has. I don't know all the background. I don't know all the details. Maybe there's been a problem there for a long time already. That I'm unaware of. Uh, but. I would, uh, like yourself, I would have alarm bells going off, bringing Rick Warren on because of of Rick Warren's influence in changing particularly American Christian culture, but really uh, uh, having a global reach as well and bringing down a, a, a pseudo-psycho-humanistic, Version of Christianity in some respects, there's it's a muddled. There he's done a good job in muddling a lot of things together and creating a movement which has had a lot of questions behind it and a lot of problems. And so, I, you know, I, I hear this about Rick Warren becoming chancellor, and I'm like, well, sh- I shake my head. Hmm. But at the same time, I'm not surprised. As I said, I, we've watched the the church community. Uh, go down some pretty crazy paths already. You know, in, in Canada, our largest mainline denomination is the United Church of Canada, which was a mix of Presbyterians, uh, Methodists, and and I believe one other denomination back in right before World War II. And, and even then, there was already a, a social gospel presence within those denominations. But there was still some type of a, of, of a solid foundation of sorts of that that new church movement Held on to. But by the 1960s, they had jettisoned Jesus Christ right out of the church. And, and there was already a, an understanding that they were progressive. And, and now, if I go to United Church, thank goodness they're, they're emptying right out. There's almost nobody left. Uh, but if I go to United Church and I open up a hymn book, they have a song entitled, Oh Beautiful Gaia, another song to Mother Earth. And, and, and it's labyrinths and it's touchy feely. And I, I might hear a sermon about, uh, you know, how the, how the, 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 lady minister will feel about something. It's just, it's new age gobbledygook. It's, it's ludicrous, but it didn't just arrive there overnight. And I think that's the important point. So when we consider things like Rick Warren's involvement, uh, the the Christian community and, and the evangelical community is absolutely um, we've absolutely uh, capitulated and have been a part of this mind change this spirit change uh, we have we have drank the Kool Aid a long time ago and um, I, I say this frequently that the church itself is is the new mission field
0: wow wow that wow you're not the uh, a very close friend of mine who said the same thing uh, recently bill what are, what do what are your thoughts because again we could argue that within the church there's total ignorance of of these people and i'm i'm reflecting i'm reflecting from the uk because all of these movements have come over here when i examine i look at rick warren i look at Bill Highballs, I look at all this stuff and just think over time, no, this is not good. Bill, what are are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I I have to say, um, I didn't get that memo or that uh, news story. So I'm glad you informed me about that, although it's bad news. I mean, it it is certainly incongruous uh, on the face of it, having someone like Rick Warren come over to be (laughs) Chancellor of Spurgeon's University. I mean, that, uh, so how does that compute? Well, uh, you mentioned a few other things there that, uh, of course, factor into it. Uh, You mentioned the, uh, a few minutes earlier, the Fabian Society. Well, of course, the Fabian Society, and uh, you put that together, uh, well, London School of Economics, you know, and, in yeah, there you go. None, there you go. none
0: <laughs> call it, none dare call it, yeah. The, the Open yep. Conspiracy, H.G. Wells, there it is.
2: Yep. Yeah. So, uh, well, The Open Conspiracy, uh, I just uh, quoted extensively from it at my, the Red Pill University <clears throat> talk, because basically H.G. Wells, in The Open Conspiracy, uh when was that 20, 1923 I think. I think so i can check uh, yeah. so that's yeah. Yeah. you know that's 100 years ago mm. um basically laid out the problem for the or the program for the great reset which the world economic forum is pushing forward now and mm. a spiritual dimension all, all of these globalists recommend even though they promote communist, Marxist, materialist mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. philosophy, it recognizes the vast majority of people move and are motivated by some kind of spiritual uh, motivation. And so they obviously don't want people gravitating toward the true spiritual uh, mm-hmm. orientation that would direct us to God through Jesus Christ. So they have to direct us away from that or... Uh, mutilate uh, uh, Christianity in such a way that it's not really going to lead you to uh, to God through Jesus Christ so uh, so they've been invested in this for a long time and uh, you mentioned uh, uh tragedy and hope here of course a central part of that is Cecil Rhodes and the whole Rhodes Foundation. Uh, and so for, right from the very beginning, they were interested in perverting the spiritual dimension in one of several ways. And so we're seeing a continuation of that. We see the same people, the same influencers with massive fortunes at the World Economic Forum, the Trilateral Commission, the Club of Rome, Club of Madrid. Uh, Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute of International Affairs. They're constantly using their money and influence and their media control to direct us always in their direction. And uh, that, of course, is always taking us toward toward the abyss, not uh, toward
0: heaven. Absolutely. Guys, we, um, we're in the sort of last... Five or six minutes of the show, and I cannot thank you enough for an amazing conversation that I actually don't want to stop. I hope that we can continue to have this conversation because because it's actually we all need, as I say, I say it again, we all need to encourage each other. And it does our it does my mental health the world of good. And we are asking people to step up. We want people to read, we want people to get the knowledge and to then be able to combat arguments, of course, other people might say, well, you know, these people don't, they don't, they don't want to, li- they don't want to listen. Bill, as we are facing what we're facing, we know, we know how the Bible ends, right? We know how the book ends. I'm not going to get into where are we at? We can see certain things ahead. Um, What in your What's your advice to us right now? What should we be doing? How can we push back against what is going what is going on? what What should we be doing? I'm sorry if it seems like an unfair question. but what should we be doing?
2: No, that's a very important question, and that ultimately is what it comes down to because once you inform people about the problems that are out there mm-hmm. and they begin to see the picture, then mm-hmm. uh, they, they have to grapple with the the truth that, okay, this world is a big mess. It's a bigger mess than I thought it was, and mm. it's coming at me from all sides. And I'm being told explicitly and implicitly that resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. And it kind of looks like that. Uh, depending on where you are uh, and your community that you're in, it kind of looks like that's the way it's going. So people need to know what can I do? Well, we have both things physically, intellectually, and spiritually that we can and must do. The most important is spiritual, um, and and that is first we have to come and confess our own sins, our own guilt before God, and ask His forgiveness and then ask God, okay, Lord, what shall I do with this time that you have given me here? Please give me the light. Please give me the strength. Give me the courage, wisdom to do that which I can do here, because resistance is not futile, resistance Mm to evil. It's an obligation. So then, intellectually, we have to, okay, we have to use the brains that God has given us to to figure out what we can do. And it, it comes down to very simple practical things. First of all, we saw during COVID that, that uh, the whole supply chain can be disrupted and whatnot. So, prudentially, uh, I, as a father or grandfather, I'm grandfather, uh, but for my family, I should have certain amount of Physical goods here to take care of my family so that I'm not dependent on the government, so that I can't be panicked uh, by fear of not being able to have Mm -hmm. a meal uh, tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, we should do some preparation and then we should uh, join together with other of our uh, compatriots around the country and around the world and promote the truth. We have the ability to do what you're doing here today, which I applaud you for and for all the people, we still have the ability to reach out to and inform other people, to link arms with them. And we've seen all over the world all these uh, mass demonstrations and mass resistance to to this. So we can physically, spiritually, uh, and intellectually uh, engage in this. And of course, I'm uh Somewhat uh, biased, but I think uh, people should uh, go to the newamerican.com on online <laughs> and or even uh, subscribe to our magazine uh, mm. because we're going to continue bringing this mm.
0: to them. Your your bias is appreciated and totally utterly <laughs> understood, and that and you know again, thank you, thank you for all that you do, and you you are done, and it is inspirational, and thank you for that. And uh, Carl, what do you what do what is your reply? What what do you advise us at this time? In the last, uh, we've just got a couple of minutes.
3: Well, I, I would echo what Bill has said. Uh, I would add that our posture, our position, should also be reflective of that. And, and that is, we we are no longer in a in a time where we should be living in fear or cowardice. My mm. goodness, we have allowed fear within. Our own lives to take over mm. in many respects. Mm. And I'm not just so- talking about COVID, but even before mm. COVID. Mm. And there's also a defeatist attitude that so often comes into the picture. Stop. Stop. Mm. You're 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 not to, to carry that forward. That defeatist attitude and, and the fear that we have of man has held so much. Uh, back in terms of, of our ability to step forward with truth and do it at the right time and in the right way, seasoned with grace and salt. And we need to relearn what it means to be an ambassador for, for, for Jesus Christ, really, in a world that is antagonistic to him and, and to, the, to the Christian message uh, and, and recognize that ideas have consequences and, and we are supposed to stand up for truth regardless wherever we are. So, I mean, Thank you, Bill. Thank you for, for all the work that you have done over the years. And my goodness, Mark, for, for how you're now stepping up. Uh, yes, we have our conversations routinely. And it, it's a pleasure to watch you also begin to unfold and to, and to recognize where you have a voice and, and take responsibility in that. And I think that that's a model for all of us. We need to take responsibility, push the fear aside, quit being afraid of man, quit being defeatist. Let's step forward, and let's speak with truth and grace.
0: Thank you, Colin. That's very kind of you to say. Because I'm just, I'm just remember, unless I'm wrong. So correct me, theological. How many times does it say "do not fear" in the Bible? Is it for one, one, once for every day of the year?
3: <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that, but I do know this: um, fear God. Yeah. And don't fear yeah. man. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Fear. A- Fear of God teaches man wisdom and humility comes before honor. Yeah. Right. So just just closing, as we're just about to close. So these incredible these incredible books, right? So um Bill, I wanna I wanna I'm not writing you off by any stretch. I want to urge you to write your autobiography. <laughs> I think there is an absolutely incredible, amazing story to tell, and I wanna hear about the fights of the UN trying to take your journalistic accreditation away, etc. But but the fact is, it's 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 the knowledge and and uh, in this and um, for everyone, even just doing these programs. And if it wasn't these shows and and this channel, and if it wasn't for people like Thumper giving up hours and hours and hours of free time, these kind of things don't happen. This is not this is not entertainment for entertainments just just there, just for entertainment's sake. This is about informing, and I, um, I cannot thank you guys enough for joining me and helping me to look amazing. This is Dan's show, as you know, and uh, I have the privilege then, as he says, I can't do this. Can you guest host for me? Um, it's such a privilege to do. It's such a privilege to be able to sp- to speak, and I just want to encourage everyone to continue to do that. The knowledge that you've got there when you're talking about things like Operation kill Hall, etc., cetera, etc., that is not known. The hidden, the hidden history that is known. So, thank you, Bill, and thank you, Carl, for for joining me um, today. It's been such a privilege. Thumper, I don't know how many seconds we got. Are we nearly out? Yes, it is time to uh, say goodbye. Right. Well, listen, (laughs) Thumper, thank you very much for just being there, providing the tech. It's been brilliant. I hope uh, you've enjoyed the conversation as well. It's been a very, very good show. I would commend all of you. uh, uh, Very, very informative. Brilliant. The check's in the post, Thumper. All right. Or I'll transfer it by digital means. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining all of us for just an amazing, amazing conversation. Please share it. Please talk about it. But please just step up, gain the knowledge. This is not a hobby. We've got to get out there because we do have countries to save. But more importantly we've got to get out there and tell people about jesus and spread the gospel and use whatever means we have to do that so thank you very much indeed
1: from the lakes of minnesota to the hills of tennessee Across the plains of Texas, oh from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, New York to L.A., where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say,